Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. This week, we sit down with one of the most well-known restaurateurs in the city behind one of the most dined-in restaurants on the east side of town. And we're talking about none other than Tom Murphy of Murphy's in Virginia Highland. And his restaurant has defined dining in one of Atlanta's coziest neighborhoods, especially through brunch. And he's housed multiple chefs who have made waves throughout the city and continues to stay on top of dining culture for all of us ATLians. So here's Tom's story. Tom Murphy, welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Nice to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show. I have been dining here for many years, as many people have. Um, menu has changed, and I've uh, you know watched it grow and watched it ebb and flow with the season. I've had the Toll House cookie pie more than I can. Uh, you and probably, thousands others. I was going to say probably more than I would like to admit, but then at the other on the other side, like I don't mind admitting that it's a wonderful thing. But uh, Murphy's is definitely a staple. It's been a building block of dining here in Atlanta, and I want to get to know you a little bit. So I want to dive into some of your background, and then I want to talk a little bit about just Murphy's as it's evolved. I mean, really over. Gosh, has it been 30 years? 39. 39 years. So really coming up on 40. Yeah. Yeah. We can go ahead and round up. Um, but you get the first question that every single guest receives on my show. So you have to tell me who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? Um, well, my mom was my first cook, obviously. She was a um, fabulous um, cook. I mean, just basic, you know, good fare, right? So um, enjoyed uh family meals and we had a a a wonderful family with uh five brothers and sisters and so uh family time was where food and family came together right so Mm -hmm. yeah where was home i was born in new york but i was raised in atlanta um i'm really more of an atlantan than a georgian i've been here uh gosh since 1960 so wow yeah you've seen you've seen so much of the city change and where was home when you guys moved to Atlanta? Yeah, I grew up in Garden Hills. I went to uh, Christ the King, uh, then to St. Pius High School, and then to Georgia State. So I've really yet been outside the perimeter of Atlanta. <laughs> I've lived within about a uh, three-mile radius of each place in my whole life. Yeah, That's awesome. I know I, I do a really bad job of getting outside the perimeter. I try to. You know, I, th- there is a lot more to the greater Atlanta area. Well, you know? it's more difficult to get outside the perimeter today, for sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, just the traffic. Yeah. Atlanta's an hour away from Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surely. <laughs> oh, man. But, um, you know, it's 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 got to be really cool to see how much the Highlands have really changed over the years as well. Yes. You know, um, the Highlands has always been um, a great neighborhood to Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, what happened... Uh, to Virginia Holland back in the, uh, I guess around the 60s, was they were going to build a highway that was going to connect from 400 all the way down to Jimmy Carter a Library. Wow. So um, the DOT bought up the homes in this area and uh, had planned to, you know, put a big highway right through the middle of this wonderful neighborhood. And not just this neighborhood, other ones as well. And neighborhood band together and literally over the 10 15 20 years stopped the dot from doing such a disastrous thing and uh in doing that by stopping it 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 was able to sort of bring the neighborhood back to what it used to be as a great neighborhood live work uh play 
uh, neighborhood. And Murphy's came in in 1980 at that time when uh, the Department of Transportation had finally awarded the uh, homes that were bought by the DOT back to the original owners. So we were right at the cusp of a really a, a transition for uh, Virginia Highlands. I think Virginia Highlands really sort of helped launch uh, a lot more uh, movement to inner city living. Uh, you know, during the 60s and the 70s, we had a white flight where, it, you know, a lot of the folks, uh, white folks downtown, I mean, my first uh, operation was in the municipal market in 1976 on Edgewood Avenue. And uh, while I was going to Georgia State, and the curb market was the original farmer's market of Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, all the, you talk farm to table, but this is where it really uh, happened hmm. in our own in our own city. We had a wonderful farmer's market right in the middle of the city. And, um, you know, from the 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, the curb market was there. It was an open air market at one time, and then they renovated it. Ironically, the health department was right up the street, uh, yet it wasn't a very healthy market back in those years. I mean, you could walk in there and pick out your chicken, they'd pop its head off, and right. you know, that's really <laughs> right there. Um, but, you know, they finally uh, got it under control, and, and, you know, fresh fish came in, the uh, uh, farmers brought their produce, uh, Mr. Hardiman owned half of Roswell Road, and he, uh, but he had a pig stand right in the middle of the curve markets where everyone would come to get their pork and their ribs for 4th of July. So the curve market was the, the essence of the middle of uh, downtown. And then in the 60s, when um, you know, whites really started moving north out, outside the city, the curve market became the market for the African-American community. And um, I was going to Georgia State, and it was a great opportunity to put a business in there so that's where i started wow and what were you what was your business inside of the curb market i was known as murphy the cheese man the uh, cheese man well you know i i grew up in garden hills but i worked for uh, a guy named russ mccall who owned uh six wine and cheese shops in the city lennox square phipps park air you know several places around the town and so in in my grammar school days, I'd roll cheese balls, and I could cut <laughs> I could take a whole wheel of Yarlsberg and cut you fifty cents off of it uh, if wow. that's what you wanted. Um, so I learned the cheese business, and in the uh, when I went to St. Pius High School, this was in the seventies, you could be eighteen to drink alcohol. So um, I was you know nineteen seventy two George uh, Robert Mondavi. Uh, uh, we had um, Montalena and Jordan were all coming online as great American wine uh, industry was starting to really uh, present. So I was drinking great wines, American wines, and I would go to a high school party and bring, you know, Borsan cheese and Brie and Havarti and, uh, you know, Jordan and, and uh, George DeBuff or, or some great wines, and my friends were bringing cores and pretzels. I, I always enjoyed <laughs> the gourmet uh, food uh, movement. Um, at that time, that's what it was called, uh, and I, it really was an empowerment. I mean, I was, I was really a typical restaurateur, ADD, uh, dyslexic uh, individual who was always asking, "Why are we doing this in school where we could be outside having fun and so, or working doing something interesting?" So, I really found food and, and serving people uh, was a passion early on, and uh, the wine and cheese shop launched me. Uh, into about food and so when I went off to college going to the municipal market was a way in which I could open a little cheese shop which I had learned in grammar school and high school. Um, Havarti and Brie was not something that uh, my clientele could afford uh, but what was very important 
to this community uh, was cheddar cheese because of macaroni and cheese, mac and cheese. And so I became known as the cheese man because I would drive to Shelbyville, Tennessee in college. I would buy a truckload of, you know, pickup truck of cheese, uh, sharp cheddar cheese, bring it back. And I had the best sharp cheddar cheese in the city of Atlanta and people enjoyed the the cheddar cheese and from there you know and this is the way food works i was able to then you know say well try hot pepper cheese so you know mac and cheese we like everything with food you can you start evolving and start you know sharing different recipes or different ideas and people enjoyed it yeah so they trust food creates a trust yeah for sure well especially with something that is so um and it's it's such a comfort for so many people i mean you know it's uh, mac and cheese can become very fussy you know it can become very pretentious but right. you know at its very building block uh you know very most um basic level you know it is um it's simple for everybody in the best way right. you know and it, it can really be something that can become aspirational you know i mean right. lobster mac and cheese is a thing here exactly <laughs> truffle mac and cheese yeah right? truffle i was going to say the truffle mac and cheese is like right. the upper echelon yeah. so um, so you're working in the curb market. You're starting your career in the food business. You're, you're, you're known as the cheese man. So how do you become Tom Murphy of Murphy's here in the Highlands? Yeah, well, so I was, um, like I said, I was at the curb market uh, going to Georgia State. I lived on Ralph McGill Boulevard. This is uh, 78, 9. Um, and uh, I, uh, I was a junior now at uh, Georgia State. I had to do a feasibility study of opening a or of you know doing a class project, an entrepreneurship type of project for a management class, and we formed groups and, and it was to do a feasibility study of opening a business. So, um, I, I convinced my group of four to do it on opening a neighborhood delicatessen, taking the concept of my little cheese shop and expanding it to um, you know sort of a, you know a, a, a neater concept, something that you'd you'd seen in uh, New York. Uh, my, again, being from New York City, I'd visit my relatives, and I always saw, uh, in visiting them, these wonderful ethnic uh, neighborhoods, Polish, German, Italian, Hungarian, and, and those delicatessens represented the pantries of those hmm. neighborhoods. And, you know, ironically, the curb market was very much that. The curb market became the pantry to the African-American uh, community that lived downtown, and I was just, you know, uh, providing one of the products of that pantry. And so uh, I did the feasibility study with my group on a great neighborhood delicatessen. I mean, back then, a lot of the food in Atlanta was monochromatic. It was, you know, uh, mayonnaise and heavy fats and, and <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, but the flavors that I had experienced, uh, even at the curb market, uh, but also in New York and uh, with my family, were lighter, were different. And so right. I wanted to bring something other than Wonder Bread and French's mustard and, you know, those types of items that were considered deli sandwiches at 1976-80. Yeah. So what was the year that you guys actually opened here in the December Highlands? 1980. 1980. So I was going to say, when I mean, you just mentioned 39 years uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, and, you know, you if, if you look at, like, the timeline of Atlanta, you look at, like, this this either family tree or just the, the, the tree of restaurants that have been around for even more than 20 years in Atlanta, like it starts to dwindle pretty quickly. You know, I mean, the, the number of restaurants that have really made up Atlanta dining that have been around for as long as 39 years, it's, it's, it's not as many, you know? So it's, it, it's always interesting for me to think back to, you know, what was it like back in 1980? You know, what was, I mean, the, the Highlands, I can only imagine, was, was such a different vibe. But just the city in general, like, how have you seen, like, wh- how have you seen the city change over the last 39 years? Well, you know, um, 
it, it's changed dynamically in so many ways. Atlanta still, you know, I think more so, it's, it, it still has a, a lot of sense of a small town community, but it, obviously it's a huge place and a, you know, more cosmopolitan. I think, you know, the Olympics helped uh, really set that mark. Right. Uh, but, you know, in, again, food in 1980 was different. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't, uh, my concept of opening a business, remember I came from a gourmet wine and cheese shop. It then extended itself to becoming more of a delicatessen. And my, my vision was to be uh, more of a Dean and DeLuca or a silver palette, which was known back then, of, of takeout. And, you know, you could sit in and have a great sandwich, uh, you know, great, really a great corned beef sandwich. And everything was made from scratch and our baked goods like you, like the Toll House pie and yeah. things, right? Yeah. So we, you know, our salads were, were made. Um, there were three women that were instrumental in making Murphy's. I, I had the vision, was willing to work hard, but uh, Elaine Felder, who, um, African-American lady who worked with me at the municipal market and went to uh, Georgia State with me, she grew up on a farm with Ten brothers and a sister, and she worked right next to me, and I made her a partner with me for uh, 12 years when we opened, you know, at the beginning of Murphy's. Um, Julie Clifford was a, a, a lady who was a great chef, but because of being a female, she she really never was made a chef or manager of any of the restaurants she worked in, but she could absolutely cook uh, like nobody's business. She was vegetarian, so her flavors were, you know, uh, oils and vinegars and uh, herbs, you know, wasn't fats. And, and so it's the way we want to eat today. So we were way, we had vegetarian chilies, and, but she did know how to cook and roast meats. And so our flavors were, were, were bright and, and flavorful, and she knew about uh, sourcing. And again, the curb market gave me a lot of great opportunity to find great farmers yeah. and sourcing. You know, the whole concept of farm to table was is ironic. You know, when things are in abundant, they're in season and they usually taste good, but they're also, uh, because of the abundance, they don't cost as much. So once you want to buy something uh, when it's, you know, good and doesn't cost as much versus when it's out of season and it doesn't usually taste good and it costs a lot more. So right. the curb market taught us a lot. So Elaine and Julie were my partners. And then there's this uh, cute gal named Susan who would come in and work part-time uh, with us uh, so that I could finish my last year of college in Elaine as well. She, we were both at night school as we were running the restaurant, and she, she filled in. And so as soon as I graduated from college, I fired her, and that's my wife, Susan Murphy. Um, and so she's been still a partner now for 40 years, um, 39 plus, right, and counting. But it's been, it's been a blessing. So, you know, these three ladies really were the backbone of helping me create um, the delicatessen. Again, more of uh, takeout and quality, freshly prepared product. Uh, it was just, it was just um, I, I think the restaurant component of the city was certainly different. There were fewer uh, restaurants. People, uh, it was a smaller town, so people, you know, it was fast food or, or just cooked at home, and there was a few restaurants, right? But uh, it, my father, and like, after about three or four years, we, you know, we were the first ones to have a croissant sandwich in the city. You know, we had, uh, we were buying uh, freshly roasted coffee beans. We had a cappuccino machine. I think uh, Brian Olson of uh, Cafe Intermezzo and Murphy's were the first ones to have, you know, a cappuccino in our, in our wow. operations. But there was no Starbucks. That's really what we were for the Virginia Highlands was a Starbucks, so to speak. But everything back then when we opened, because it was a delicatessen, it was done uh, in a wicker basket, uh, wax paper. Uh, coffee was served in a styrofoam cup. We didn't realize the uh, environmental 
issues at that time. Um, my dad would come in and, and really harangue me about, you know, serving such a high quality product in styrofoam and, you know, and uh, so after a while he started a campaign with all our guests to, um, you know, convince me to really boycott my coffee unless I went to ceramic. <laughs> and uh, I finally acquiesced and, you know, this is four, four years into running my delicatessen, Murphy's Deli, and uh, and it was interesting because that one move of going from styrofoam for a, a coffee cup to ceramic meant I had to have a dishwashing machine, someone to wash the dishes, right. uh, have a busser. I mean, it, it, that I was truly more of a, a, a wonderful delicatessen, uh, you know, quick service. That flip of a coffee cup made us a restaurant, though I never would admit to it, but now that that 65 cent cup of coffee was worth a dollar and it wasn't that the product was different it was just the presentation and we learned from that that every time we could present our product better and in a better environment and better service that people were willing to pay for it so so we didn't start as a restaurant we started as you know again that great neighborhood corner delicatessen and evolved to a restaurant and, and now if you go to new york there really aren't delicatessens they're really sort of high-end uh, gourmet grocery stores, right? Right. Yeah. right. I, was say, I went to the way of restaurant. They went right. to grocery store. <laughs> Don't want to compete against Whole Foods. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's so funny. I mean, I, I've i only read bits and pieces about, you know, like the, I guess the, the more the more deli style before, I guess it was really like a sit-down restaurant. But you, know, you talk about it being a neighborhood deli and now it's i mean it's such a staple it's a, it's such a staple i mean they're really holding this corner of virginia and highland um murphy's is 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 totally a fixture not only of just the highlands but really of atlanta like when did you guys hit that stride of now this is becoming like the restaurant that has that gravitational pull of like this is this is a part of dining in atlanta not just necessarily a neighborhood spot well you know uh i'm i'm sort of my team, myself, I, I, we keep our head down and just try to do a great job every day and deliver a great product and service every day. So, you know, I think the minute you look up and go, oh, we've arrived, you're sort of slipping backwards. So I, I, I can't tell you when I think that day happened or what. I mean, we're even today, I think that there, Atlanta has tremendous uh, restaurants and more coming. And, and so... Um, I think we're just uh, fortunate to be in a neighborhood and, and have a group of talented people that work with us uh, daily, you know, and have so for 39 years. I really stand on the shoulders of very talented men and women uh, who are passionate about what they do. So um, I don't know when we arrived at that, as you're saying. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, as Atlanta has more and more neighborhoods, sort of like, again, the boroughs in New York, so to speak, or other cities you have to really position yourself in your neighborhood to be special and be committed to your neighborhood and we try we're fortunate that we've been here a long time so our neighborhood may reach out a lot further than you know it'd be difficult to open today a restaurant and um, you know live off of one neighborhood you have to look for a lot of different factions that bring your business to you Uh, but you know, we love what we do in this neighborhood. It's been good to us. Yeah. And you mentioned something that I wanted to talk to you about. Like, tell me about, you know, the just the team aspect of everything here at Murphy's. You know, some chef names that stand out to me, like Hector Santiago and Winslade. Like, you've had a lot of really wonderful, wonderful chefs who are still in Atlanta doing amazing things. And that's been a huge part of, you know, the building blocks of, of Murphy's. And, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, um, what you've done is, is you've incubated a lot of people's or, or portions of their careers. What's that been like to watch people go on to, to continue doing things in the Atlanta dining community? 
Well, like Ian Winslet, you know, great, very talented chef, and we're very excited about his success and what he's doing. You know, I, I think Murphy's has been recognized as a playground for great emerging and talented chefs. We're sort of the finishing school. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you produce as much product as we do day in and day out and for so many years, people walk in knowing there's an expectation. And, and then, um, you know, this place, it, it, it's not big, but it, it delivers its volume all the time. Yeah. And we're always open and we're always, you know, providing very unique services from, you know, our lunch, our dinner, our weekend brunch to wine tastings to you know, special events and, you know, the wine department and pairing and our great dessert. So a person as a chef here gets to really be exposed to many different facets of being uh, a restaurateur. And I think chefs, you know, are, uh, as they grow, most of them want, not all, but most of them want to own their own restaurant. So they have to really discern that they're they're moving not just from a chef's position, but to a restaurateur's position. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of operations don't afford that transparency and <clears throat> excuse me and that opportunity to see all the components of running a restaurant not just running the back of the house and so when a, when a person comes and works at Murphy's we we expect them to think like an owner and to uh, develop them and such and so um, I think that's what's helped them move on to own their own place and be successful at it not just provide a great opportunity for Murphy's and their ta- and showcase their talent, which we've been blessed to have great people uh, cross our thresholds mm-hmm. to serve our guests and our guests also who are wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, it's really cool to to have known you know so many people's work that it's either while they were here at Murphy's and I've been I mean most of the time that I was been that I've been dining here like Ian was the the chef in the kitchen right. you know and Alan um, from up the street yeah um, you know and Michael Tui who had a, a restaurant here for uh, you know Jerry Kleskala mm-hmm. Aria worked with us and Sean Doty and yeah so we've had over the years a lot of really wonderful men and women um, you know. I sort of uh, learn, teach us, right, mm-hmm. as well as I share the learning with them. Yeah, and it's just been so cool to to know that you know the, I mean, again, like the the very few degrees of separation between one restaurant to here at Murphy's. Like for many people, like Sean Doty, I mean, I've been you know eating at his restaurants for just as long as I've been eating. He's here. a very talented man. Yeah, yes. you know, and it's um it's just really cool, and I like that you use the the term finishing school, you know, in in a very good and confident way. You know, it's uh it's a great thing. And I think perpetuating people's careers in the culinary space is, um, is not always a, an easy thing to do or something that's understood, but knowing that people are going to continue their career elsewhere and, um, you know, they can kind of get their start or make their mark here is, um, it, but it still continues the work of really what Murphy's is meant for. It has been the other thing about it is I'll go back to the coffee cup and my dad and the styrofoam. Well, you know, there was a scenario where, uh, my dad also, but the guest, being a guest, was interested in improving Murphy's. Uh, and, you know, we, we look at how we can improve ourselves every day. And though we uh, get talented chefs that come in, um, we view them as, the, as a, a mutual respectful opportunity for not that they're going to do it our way, but we're going to do it a collaborative way. And that uh, affords us the opportunity to keep growing and challenging ourselves. So these talented chefs bring a lot of knowledge to us as well. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's really, we're, we're always finishing sort of each other in, in terms of improving, right. you know, the, the edge, the sharpness. Yeah, for sure. Uh, where do you hope to see Murphy's in the next 5, 10, 20 years? Uh, 
good question. Uh, I'm still trying to discern, you know, the restaurant industry at large. I've never seen the industry changed. You know, again, we went from a, a delicatessen, which was takeout, mm-hmm. uh, and some sit-in to uh, then partial, you know, takeout restaurant, and then full restaurant with less takeout. And now it seems like we've come full circle that people want takeout again, right? right. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I love hospitality. Um, I love our community, uh, mm-hmm. and I just want to be serving it food uh, in in whatever way our community expects it, demands it, needs it. Um, you know, back in 2005, um, I started a company with uh, Project Open Hand called uh, Good Measure Meals. It was a social entrepreneurship concept, and it was basically um, meals delivered to your house, and it was a social entrepreneurship where... Um, uh, where you could get three meals a day. And I did it in honor of my mom who had ovarian cancer and had passed. And I realized mm-hmm. that if your son was a restaurateur or, or you were wealthy and you could hire a chef, you got fed well. Or if you were poor, you got meals on wheels. But if you're middle America, you're really SOL. And so, um, you know, it, I started this in 05 and it, and it really took off. And it really was, I think, the uh, cursory, uh, you know, definition that take home and, and delivery was coming. Um, it, again, it was called Good Measure Meals, and it was with Project Open Hand. And so, you know, it's interesting seeing these waves. I hope I can catch another idea of what the future is going to hold for <laughs> restaurateurs in five and ten. But, you know, I th- the main thing is is that I think we are the lo- one of the last few places where community gathers. Mm. And so I think uh, Murphy's will be a continuum of where people come together uh, to enjoy good food and fellowship and celebration. Uh, we do a lot of celebratory events here, um, just in seeing old friends, you know, or celebrating a, uh, you know, a, a wedding or, you know, uh, whatever. There's, a, you know, you want to bring together people, and that's lost today, you know. Uh, this is one of those places where people get to touch and mingle and see each other, and that's a great feeling, that's really needed. Yeah. You know, Winston Churchill said, um, Success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Any chance you can celebrate, take it, right? So, you know, Murphy's a good place to come and celebrate. Yeah. I think you answered my last question that I was going to ask you so perfectly with that last one. I was just going to ask you, what's the one thing that you would want people to know Murphy's by? And I think I love that answer, though. You're like a place where community truly gathers, celebrates, shares a meal. It's great. So That's us. Tom, this was such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you Thank for you, telling your story. Thank yeah. you for feeding me over the years. And um, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll definitely be in for brunch sooner rather than later. Well, we appreciate all that you do for us. Thank you. Yeah. Keep coming. Thanks, Tom. All right. Many thanks go out to Tom and the entire team at Murphy's for being a part of this show. And if you'd like to see the current menu at the restaurant or check out the online wine shop and program or scope out your first brunch experience at Murphy's, go ahead and head over to murphysatlanta.com. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry 